Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to this Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was February 6th, 1840. Representatives of the British Crown and more than 40 Maori chiefs, or Rangatira, signed the Treaty of Waitangi on this day at Waitangi in the Bay of Islands on the North Island of New Zealand. The treaty was supposed to be an agreement that established Britain's sovereignty over New Zealand, ensured protection of Maori lands and other possessions, said the Queen had the sole right to purchase land, and gave Maori the rights of British subjects. But even though the document was meant to protect the interests of the Maori and the British crown, differences in language and culture caused a lot of confusion over the meaning of the treaty. Europeans had been in contact with the Maori since the 17th century. By the 18th century, Europeans were immigrating to New Zealand. And trade was good. Europeans exchanged guns, clothing, and other trade goods for food and other natural resources the Maori had access to. European missionaries also came to the islands. And many Maori even converted to Christianity and came to respect the missionaries. But New Zealand was not a British territory. So British law did not govern the British subjects living in the country, including the convicts that had come to New Zealand from New South Wales. So over time, the region became pretty unstable because of violence and disease. When the Maori feared a potential French invasion in 1831, several Maori chiefs asked King William IV of the United Kingdom to help protect their land. So the colonial office in London the government body that managed Britain's colonies, sent James Busby to the proverbial rescue. Busby was appointed the so-called British resident in New Zealand, and in 1833, he arrived in the country with the intent to look after the Maori and Europeans living on the islands. Busby drafted up a Declaration of Independence for New Zealand in 1834, mainly to keep other nations from staking a claim to New Zealand. Many Maori chiefs later signed the declaration, but it didn't go over too well with the colonial office. And Busby wasn't even able to carry out his duties fully because he didn't have a police force or any support from the British government. Maori tribal wars had broken out, lawlessness from immigrants and adventurers was still an issue, and the New Zealand company was aggressively attempting to grab as much land as possible in New Zealand. The Europeans and Maori alike wanted to put an end to all the disorder. But Britain recognized New Zealand as independent under Maori rule. So after years of being disinterested in annexing New Zealand, Britain sent Royal Navy officer William Hobson to New Zealand to negotiate a treaty with the Maori in 1839. Hobson was set to become Lieutenant Governor of New Zealand, or any parts of New Zealand the Maori agreed to give up. 
Hobson arrived at Waitangi in January of 1840. Busby helped Hobson draft the treaty, and the treaty was translated into the Maori language. But there was a problem. Some English words and concepts did not have equivalents in Maori. So at the last minute, the translators had to make up new Maori words, like the word kawanatanga, which means governorship. This hasty translation would go on to cause disagreement over how the Maori interpreted the treaty and whether the treaty really transferred sovereignty to the British crown. On February 5th, the Europeans and Maori met, and the treaties were read aloud. The Maori discussed the proposal into the night. Missionaries who thought the deal would be good for the Maori people encouraged the Maori to agree to the treaty. And though many Maori chiefs objected to the treaty, several chiefs stepped up in support of British rule. The next morning, Hone Heke was the first of dozens of chiefs to sign the treaty. A missionary named William Colenso did interject at the signing to ask if the Maori really understood what they were signing, and he later wrote his own account of the signing. But over the next several months, more copies of the treaty were sent around the country for others to sign. Even though many Maori chiefs refused to sign the treaty, Hobson still took the title of Lieutenant Governor of all of New Zealand. And soon after, New Zealand became a crown colony. But it didn't take long for things to start going wrong. Europeans flooded into the country. Britain failed to protect Maori land and possessions, and tensions over unfair land purchases and sketchy legislation became violent. The treaty was never ratified by Britain, and the government often completely ignored the terms of the treaty anyway. The Maori ended up losing a lot of their land. By the 1900s, the Maori began fighting to secure their treaty rights and protesting the British government's violations of the treaty. And in 1975, the government finally recognized the Treaty of Waitangi in New Zealand law. Some treaty claims did reach settlements, but today the treaty is still not part of New Zealand municipal law, and the debate over the true meaning of the Treaty of Waitangi continues. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the Treaty of Waitangi, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called the Treaty of Waitangi. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show that will convince you that history can be fascinating even when you expect it not to be. The day was February 6th, 1820. The American Colonization Society organized a migration of freed enslaved people from the United States to Africa. 
By the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th, slavery was being outlawed around the world, though it continued in practice in many places. In 1787, free Black people from Britain set out to establish a colony in Sierra Leone. Five years later, more than a thousand free Black people unhappy with life in Nova Scotia built Freetown in Sierra Leone. In 1804, as the Haitian Revolution ended, Haiti became the first independent Black republic in the world. By that same year, all the northern states in the U.S. had voted to abolish slavery within their borders. That did not mean that all people who were enslaved were immediately freed, but many people were released after they reached a certain age or worked for a certain amount of time. This meant that many Black Americans began to live as free people in the first part of the 19th century. They created communities and institutions, and they organized to help free other Black people. But they still faced racism and discrimination. As the number of free Black people grew, white supremacists and others who deemed Black people undesirable were unhappy with their newfound freedom. Others, including free Black people themselves, believed they would fare better outside of the United States. A colonization movement emerged as people proposed the idea of moving freed enslaved people to Africa. In 1815, Paul Cuffey, a free Black entrepreneur and sea captain, initiated the Back to Africa effort and transported 38 Black people from the United States to Sierra Leone. They arrived in Sierra Leone in early 1816, in the years after that, others took up the cause of Black immigration. In this climate, the American Colonization Society formed. It was largely made up of white people, including clergymen, abolitionists, and slave owners. The society purchased and freed enslaved people and paid their way to Africa. In 1819, U.S. Congress passed an act that authorized the president to send a naval squadron to African waters to intercept people engaged in illegal slave trading. It also appropriated $100,000 to return displaced Africans to Africa. On February 6, 1820, delayed days by low temperatures and ice, a group of around 90 free Black people and a few ACS members left New York and set sail for Freetown, Sierra Leone. Little is known about the immigrants who were on the ship. Adults and children were on board. Most of them were residents of New York or Pennsylvania. Many of them were farmers and artisans, and there was a nurse and a minister. They arrived at Freetown in March. Within the next couple of years, Liberia was founded as a settlement for free Black people, and thousands of free Black Americans began immigrating to the area. Adjusting to the new environment wasn't easy, but some of the Black immigrants did strive for wealth and subjugated and oppressed Indigenous people. As more free Black people immigrated to Liberia from the U.S., they continued to bring U.S. culture and practices with them. Liberia declared its independence in 1847, though the U.S. did not recognize its independence until 1862. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Our email address is thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow with another episode.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.